0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I'm your host, Rabbi C. Jacobson, with New Radio Media, and we will spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call in at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249, or email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com, or join our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah. This week's show is in memory of Menachem Aaron ben Yitzchak Isaac, the father of a dear friend of mine who passed away right before the High Holidays. And if you would like to sponsor a show in memory of a loved one or in merit that someone should have a speedy recovery, just go to the website, send me a message, or through our Facebook page, or just email us again at letstalktorah@gmail.com. No apostrophes. Lots of stuff to get into. Rosh Hashanah is behind us. Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar is coming up, and as I told everyone last week, I brought in some of that raisin challah. How was that challah Ben?
1: It's the best bread I've ever had in my
0: life. Absolutely, hands down. It is amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> and I, I can't see from this angle, Lenard, but I know he got some. I hope that was good, Leonard. Oh, yeah, we right. can hear, Lenard. How was it? Yes, it certainly was. Okay, good. And and uh, RD? And you know, I can't hear you either.
1: Absolutely fantastic.
0: Okay, great. Some
1: of the best best bread. I agree with Ben.
0: Yeah, because we talk about food enough once in a while, we gotta bring some in. And uh, I was able to bring this one in and slice it up before we came, and I'm glad we all enjoyed it. I do love the raisins. I'm a big fan of raisins. You know, me too. My kids are not. I don't know why, but that means you know more for me. That is exactly except it exactly. really happens is my wife makes the plane without the raisin, and she'll make just one or two for me. And the whole holiday, I'm, I have my little private one. I don't have to hide it. No one wants it. It's just for me. That's a bonus. It is a bonus. And certainly appreciated with these busy holidays when she gets to make some of this amazing challah. I like, oh, no, Leonard, you go online. They teach how to make this stuff nowadays. But it's interesting. It's a lot of... Uh, Handwork—you get a mixer maybe to mix the ingredients, and you gotta let it rise and and beat it down and rise. You gotta watch it bake, or you could be lazy and go to almost any Jewish bakery, and they'll make it for you. I mean, it's there—you just walk in. I would say a few dollars. I have a feeling it's gone up in price since the last time I actually bought it, but uh, yeah, it's really good stuff. Okay, just to get us into our topics this week, we're gonna really focus a lot on Yom Kippur. The Holiest day in the Jewish calendar, and as we mentioned in passing, probably about six weeks ago, it is considered the happiest day of the year. Okay. So on one extreme, it is a fast day, a long fast day. It's about twenty-five hours. It starts um, sunset the day before, and it goes till nighttime the next night. It's okay. It's doable. Uh, the caffeine headaches could be hard. That's,
1: that's what I fear, is the caffeine headaches.
0: Yeah, don't worry. They already have these pills that you could take the day before, and it's like a slow-release caffeine, so oh, we're all good.
1: Man, whoever, whoever came up with that is probably making amends. For, well, at, at least, least I for, would hope what, so. <laughs> at least for a few days a year yeah, fast right. days.
0: That's- so Yom Kippur is a day of repentance. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about how repentance works. We're going to talk about why it's such a happy day. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the laws, rules, and regulations. We're going to talk about uh, not only repentance, but asking for forgiveness. We're going to talk about fasting, which mm-hmm. you mentioned. We're going to talk about what happened in the temple itself. The temple itself, during the days of the temple, there was a lot of things going on, all run by the high priest. He was sort of on his own that day. No, no help for the most part. We'll talk about it. Um, we're going to talk about why Yom Kippur Why that day on the Jewish calendar, if there's going to be one day a year chosen for forgiveness, why is this the day on the Jewish calendar? We're going to actually talk about why I'm fasting today. So while everybody's enjoying this yummy challah, and Ben even put out water for me, I will not have any water today. I'm sorry, I didn't know. No, you didn't know. I didn't tell you. Um, We're going to talk about why I'm fasting, what happened today, and we'll try to get into some fake news uh, about something called Tashlich, about throwing your sins away. Hopefully we'll get there later in the day. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, even though it's a fast day of the show, <laughs> and about Yom Kippur, I wanted to talk about today. Today is called Tzom Gedalia, literally the fast of Gedalia. Gedalia was a famous person in history who was actually assassinated Um either the first or second day of Rosh Hashanah. But let's let's first get us into the background. A Babylonian king by the name of, ready for this tongue twister, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's, that's an easy one. Yeah. This Nebuchadnezzar who was uh, conquering the world had conquered Israel, conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and taken just about all the Jews out of Israel and brought them to Babylonia. Uh... Babylonia itself already had many Jews living there. The the culture and the and the infrastructure really had been set up in earlier years because this same Nebuchadnezzar had taken a lot of Jewish leaders with him to Babylonia. And Babylonia is uh Babylon is uh is Iran, is Iraq. For the most part it's Iraq between the rivers. Mm-hmm. But you never want to leave a country desolate because it doesn't take long for all your beautiful fields and orchards and vineyards to become wasteland. Mm-hmm. So he left a, almost like a skeleton crew of Jews behind, and their job would be to just make sure the land doesn't become a, a dust bowl, which is really a good word. Uh, maybe another day we'll talk about it. There was, there's a book called The Dust Bowl, actually, mm-hmm. about I think an area in Texas and Oklahoma which in the earlier 19—you know, are you familiar with the
1: story? Oh, yeah, I have family from that area. So, yeah, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, all of that was just—
0: Right, because they yeah. made a fascinating mistake. Right. You know the mistake. I will just tell anybody who doesn't know. Um, what happened was this was always grazing land mm-hmm. for, for cows for the most part, and it was fantastic. Now, the, the grass that grows there had very deep roots, mm-hmm. and there was very little rainfall, but enough rain— for the grass and the cattle with grass and you had who knows how many how many miles and areas that people could use for their cattle Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they had a year with a lot of rain Mm -hmm. and somebody said you know what i bet we could plant wheat so you start planting wheat and there's more money per square mile for wheat than there is for um for cattle so the whole area said, hey, this is great wheat, and we got rain. And a, a huge swath of that area of the mm-hmm. country started planting wheat. And that was good for about 10 years. Then there was an overabundance of wheat. Now that there was an overabundance of wheat, um, the rain stopped. No more wheat. And the grass, the tall grass is gone. So the ground became worthless. It became dust. And then as the winds picked up, the, you got clouds of dust. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. It was horrible. They're still working on slowly but surely fixing mm-hmm. it. I, I believe one of those clouds made it to New York. Yeah. Really, just a terrible um, usage of land of people who didn't know how things worked. Right, right. But um, anyways, that's what would happen to a country that's left desolate. So he left his skeleton crew behind to make sure everything's up and running, and he left a great rabbi by the name of Gedaliah ben Achikam. His father's name was Achikam. They didn't really have last names in those days. He was in charge. The a neighboring country by the name of Ammon was not happy with the situation. The likelihood is they just wanted all the Jews out. Um, they they sort of. Uh, you know, said we're really trying to rebel against this Nebuchadnezzar. Again, I don't know what they're thinking. The guy just wiped out your whole country. He's taking country after country, so now your skeleton crew is going to rebel? Sounds a little strange. Anyways, so they, um, I guess we'll, for lack of a better term, they hired a man by the name of Yishmael. I actually wrote down his full name over here. I even underlined it. Here it is. Yishmael ben Nisania was Jewish, was hired to assassinate this Gedalia. And Gedalia actually heard about it. He was actually told that, be careful, this Yishmael guy is going to kill you. But he was a great rabbi, and he said, oh, slander. I don't listen to slander. I don't believe you. I'm completely ignoring what you said. And he not only was he assassinated, a whole bunch of other Jews were killed, and whenever you start up, you kill. It's like people wake up, like you just assassinated the king's um, officer in charge of the land. What do you think is going to happen when he finds out? He's going to come back. We're all dead. So they all fled, and the land of Israel was actually empty for the next 54 years, completely empty, desolate, nothing there, till Jews started coming back um, again 54 years later, yeah. and that was they started rebuilding the temple. And it wasn't really for another, probably about 16 years after that, that the temple was actually uh, full-fledged rebuilt. That, again, is a story for another day. So therefore, because this great righteous person was killed, so we fast today. So a boy in class says to me, he says, there's a, been a lot of righteous people who die over the years. We don't have a fast day for each one. I said, you're right, because if we would have a fast day for each one, we would never eat. That, so, But I, I, I was trying to focus them today, and I'll focus us. So, I mean, it's a terrible tragedy, but why are we fasting? Right. In other words, if you look at the other fast days and the Jewish calendar, there's a few more. There's one called—and all of them, by the way, interesting enough, their name is a day on the calendar— there's one called Asar B'teves. That's the fast of the 10th day of Teves. Okay. There's another one called Shiva Asar, which is 17 in Hebrew. Okay. Uh Tammuz, of the month of Tammuz. There's the, when the temples were destroyed, that's Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. And this Tzom Gedaliah. these are the big four fast days during the year. Okay. There's one other one connected to Purib that's on a different level.
1: Okay.
0: Um, this is the only one that has a person's name attached to it. Okay. So, first of all, all fast days seem to revolve around the destruction of the temple, first temple, second temple, except for this one. So, the first thing we need to know is that the, the, by the rabbis, it was really the prophets, okay. setting up this is one of the fast days. The prophets are saying, and the rabbis are saying, the, the death, certainly assassination, but the death of the righteous is equal to, to the destruction of the temple. So, right. first of all, that's why it gets its own name. We want to sort of put it aside that this is for a great rabbi. This is for the destruction of the temple. At the same time, since these four um, fast days are sort of uh, lumped together, it has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. That's a totally separate. We'll talk about that. That's for a totally different reason. These are these are not Torah-based fast days. These are either prophets or rabbinic. So we have fast days for the destruction of the temple, and now we have a fast day for the death of this tremendously righteous person. And I mean, there's a lot of righteous people throughout history. We, we, we rely on our, on, our, on our sages, on our rabbis, on our leaders. And I'm telling you that the death of a righteous person is equivalent, is equal to the destruction of the temple. But if we made a lot of fast days when rabbis passed away, it would, it would lose its value. It would almost become numb. By having one day a year where we're fasting and we remember and we talk about this great rabbi that passed away and we're fasting, so that teaches us the, the death, the, the, certainly the murder of a great sage, a great rabbi, is equal to the destruction of the temple. So the question is why? What do they have to do with each other? So I think the answer really is quite simple. Of course, I tell my kids all the time, if I know the answer, or if they know the answer in class, of course, it's easy. Kids raise their hand, oh, I know the answer, it's so easy. Whenever you know the answer, it's easy, if you remember back in school. So when you don't know the answer, it's too hard, or a test for that matter. (laughs) So if you think about it, when we would go up to the temple, we would feel God's presence. We would have the ability to become closer to God. The same thing happens when you're in the presence of a great Rabbi, a great sage, a great righteous person. So I myself actually had the opportunity, I believe I was trying to figure out what it was. I think it was the early 1980s. There was a, a great, great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He lived in the Lower East Side in an apartment. And in those days, you could actually get in. Nowadays, there's big rabbis. You can't get into these people because they're just overwhelmed and overrun by everybody who wants to like walk in and get a blessing. They don't ask for autographs. That's not the way it works. Right. But you see the rabbi, you sometimes you ask him a personal question. Sometimes you ask for a blessing. Sometimes you ask for advice. Any of these things are done. So this great rabbi was already older. He had a school also in the Lower East Side. He was home for the most part. His home was an apartment. I I don't remember what floor. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that know which floor he was on. It wasn't the first floor. So a friend of mine comes to me. I'm I'm pretty sure I was in high school. Um, It's possible I was post-high school. I'm pretty sure I was in high school. And he says, I can get us into this great rabbi. We can pray with him tomorrow morning. Are you in? I said, of course I'm in. What do we do? Well, um, we got to go by train. Right, we're gonna I guess there was no Uber and who wants to take a taxi and we didn't have money anyways. Right. But we could afford a subway. A right. Subway token and cost I think a dollar, seventy-five cents. So we're gonna go ahead, we're gonna we're gonna get up early. And it was freezing cold. Freezing. When it's really cold, and if I did it in those days, it must have been cold. You put on your long underwear because it's cold. You're not right. wearing snow pants. I right. Mean, you're walking, get a real heavy coat. Mm-hmm. We must have woken up 4.30 in the morning, because I I think the train ride itself was probably 45 minutes to an hour, probably 20-minute walk. Can you imagine walking to a train station? My kids don't walk three blocks. (laughs) But uh, anyways, so about a 15, 20-minute walk to the train station. Walk to the train station, about an hour ride on the train. Then you get off the train, you got to walk to the apartment. Right. So I, I think we woke up at 4.30, I think. Get up early, get on the train. Get to his apartment. It's very crowded. So they asked us, as a favor, we don't want you to pray in the room with the rabbi. It's very crowded. But we assure you, when prayers are over, you're going to have a few minutes of your own time to just walk in. You'll walk in, you'll get your blessing, you'll walk out, have a good day. So I did. Now, actually, I kept walking up and down the hallway because uh, the hallway wasn't crowded. So we were in a separate room, walk in the hallway, and look, it didn't wave. And you see this rabbi, and if I tell you, his face was like the sun, shining. There was like a brilliance, not because there was a, some light bulb shining on his head. There was just a brilliance, a brightness of his whole face. He was alive. People say about other people they've seen like this, that if Darwin, are you familiar with Darwin's work? Uh, yes, okay, absolutely. Just making sure. If Darwin would have seen a rabbi like him, in the stories they give a, an example of a different rabbi, he would never imagine that people could come for monkeys. It's just not possible to see such a human being and then say, yeah, well, he came from monkeys. It's just not happening. But um, that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And all, again, I got my two minutes, walked in. Um, I barely spoke to him. I asked him for a blessing. We didn't even have a conversation. That's not what I was there for. I didn't want to waste his time. Got my blessing. We got back on the train, got back to school, and probably on time for first classes. Because if you want to do something, you have opportunities. Opportunity knocks. Absolutely. You answer the door. You answer the door. We don't live on opportunity knocking. Yom Kippur. The door knocks. God is standing there. Okay, yeah. we'll get there. So um, therefore, because this is one of the four fast days of the year. Again, not including Yom Kippur next week. And then there's a smaller one before Purim. So we fast. So this is not a 25-hour fast, actually. doesn't matter that much. It actually starts with daybreak. So that was around 6 o'clock. So I actually did get up early for a cup of coffee. Uh, Got up early, quarter to six, whatever it was. Had my cup of coffee, went to prayers. And it will end tonight in the... In this part of the country, in the 815 range, you live uh, further east. It'll be a little earlier, obviously, once you get over the uh, timeline, so everything changes again.
1: So it's really not about, um, as far as like a date, it's just daylight, right?
0: Right. In other words, it's the day on the calendar. Right. Generally speaking, it would be the day after Rosh Hashanah, except this year, the day after Rosh Hashanah was the Sabbath. So we don't fast on the Sabbath, except... For a day like Yom Kippur, which is on Sabbath this right. year. So we will fast on the Sabbath. Um, but yeah, so it's the, this particular fast day is the day after Rosh Hashanah, or and when the calendar falls out this way, this year, where Rosh Hashanah is Thursday, Friday, and then there's a Sabbath, we fast on Sunday. So, um, so that's what's happening over here. We're fasting, and again, it's a, but fasting means no food, no food, no drinks. Again, obviously, if there's health issues, if somebody must take medicine. So you speak to your rabbi, there's all kinds of, of leniencies built into these fast days. But for a normal, healthy person, it's a full daylight fast. So again, today, somewhere in the eight 8.15 range and... Uh, whatever we'll have tonight for supper. Nothing major. Everybody will come and I'll watch everybody who's like starving like they haven't eaten in a month, even though we stuffed ourselves for three days and I'll wait till they're all settled in and then I'll find something that's usually prepared to eat. Okay. So let's talk about repentance. Again, we started Rosh Hashanah on Thursday. This Rosh Hashanah, there's really a 10-day repentance period. Starts with Rosh Hashanah, ends with Yom Kippur, which is this coming up Sabbath. So Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of the world. Happy birthday. The world is 5,778 years old. Even though scientists like to do their carbon testing, now is not the time to get into major carbon testing and how it works and if it works and how to measure it and billions of years and millions of years. The world... The Torah says the world is 5,778 years old. Very simple. If you're interested, um, I didn't write down the full name. There's a, a nice website by a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yosef Mizrachi. I believe it's called uh, um, Divine Information. Yes, it is called Divine Information. He has a lot of videos where he talks about religion and, and the world and science, he has up on top of his, uh, of his webpage, one of the videos is called Torah and Science. And he brings down, I believe the scientist's name is Gentry, I believe. And he has, he has interviews or he, he shows videos of this Gentry who shows proofs that the world is just this 5,700 and change years this gentry, Robert, Robert Gentry, actually, is his name. Now that I remember, that's pretty good because I thought about this one and could not remember. But I do remember now. So he, he shows you videos from this Robert Gentry who proves the world is not so old. If you'd like to see it, it is certainly worth your time. It's long. It's probably about a three-hour video, but a lot of great information. Certainly worth your time. In any case, I was telling a, a friend last week, any business... Uh, usually, there's year end. Any business year end will have a will have a business accounting, and the boss will sit down. and Not everybody likes the accounting at the end of the year, because the boss will sit there and say, "Okay, what was good? What wasn't good? You did what we wanted you to do. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. Um, we're we're not happy. You know, in the review, um, we're gonna have to let you go." or hopefully, we're very happy, you did everything we wanted, you did more than could have been expected, Um, the company has actually made money or been successful in whatever area we do, Uh, because of you, we want to move you up to a different office, we want to give you new responsibilities. That's the idea of the year-end review. So God is no different. God says, you've lived a year. How did you live your year? Was it a successful year was it a good year? Did you do what was expected of you? Did you not do what was expected? And a person could say, how am I supposed to know what's expected? So if you're Jewish, you're expected to follow the laws of the Torah. If you're not Jewish, there's these seven Noahide laws that God expects everyone to do. And therefore, that's the uh, that's the barometer. Uh, Very simple. God just looks at it and says, this is what you did, this is what you didn't do. Now, I make it sound like there's a conversation. I can have a conversation with God on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur. It's just a little one-sided. Because I'm doing all the talking, and God's listening, but I don't get to see the reaction. But I do know that God is listening. So if you think about it, it's a little hard to imagine, right? If there's billions of people in the world, right? So when exactly in this... We'll call it it a 10-day period, but really the original judgment is on Rosh Hashanah, and then we're going to talk about what Yom Kippur is for. Uh, When did God exactly have time to listen to all these, just the Jews themselves that are praying? When does God have all this time? This is a very good question. It's not really a good question. It's a good question because we're people, so we have a problem. But in reality, there's our physical being and there's our spiritual being. You ever have a dream? Well, Everybody course, has dreams. Yeah. Do you ever have one of these dreams that it felt like it took days, weeks, months? That you're just so involved in this dream, and you wake up and you say, "No way, I, I, I had this dream. It was a dream. The dream felt like it took years, months. Right. And it's 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 five minutes on my watch. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. The answer to that is that it's spiritual. Right. In the spiritual realm, there is no time. there's no time, there's no place it's we'll call it a different plane. it does not it doesn't react to time or place, only our physical bodies do right. God is on a spiritual plane he has it's no problem to look at the whole world in a second. I use second because we got to use something for time, but there is no time, so therefore it's not an issue. But again, maybe a different day we'll try to get a little deeper into this whole concept of in the spiritual world there is no time and in our realm there is because we're stuck and therefore God doesn't have all these problems that we have Um, simple so it says still dealing to get us into the mode um, the rabbis try to give us a feeling so the rabbis in the Talmud say there's three books open on Rosh Hashanah there's the book for the righteous there's the book for the wicked And there's the book for everybody in between. On Rosh Hashanah, of course, you want to be in the righteous book. You certainly don't want to be in the wicked book. Uh, But most people will fall somewhere in between. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is about uh, declaring God as king. God does this judgment. And now that we're getting into the feeling and the mode of these high holidays, God now gives us a week to repent. Just say so think about it for a second. You should be old enough. Do you remember the O. J. Simpson trial? Oh, absolutely. I can tell you where exactly I was. When the well, when the when the verdict came through. Well, when the
1: verdict came through, when the, the whole uh, uh car chase with the white bronco. So I, I can I, remember all of it. Yeah. I, I
0: don't remember the I wasn't I don't remember the white the, the Bronco and the car chase. I remember hearing about it. Yeah. I, that I must have been busy. But I know where I was. Yeah. Um when the verdict came in. And so I don't have a television in my house. We those days had radio. Right. So it was right around, I think it was actually um the day de- the the, a- the afternoon right before Yom Kippur. Okay. So I'm sitting there with my wife, and everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting for the for what's going on. I don't know if RD is even. are you there? I am here. Are you old enough to remember the OJ Simpson trial? I
1: absolutely remember the OJ Simpson
0: trial. So you remember. So so everybody's waiting, just waiting. What's going to be with the, um, with, with, is he going to be found guilty? Innocent, guilty, what's going to be, what's going to be? And then they came back and they said, innocent. And I, my wife was like, whoa, he's innocent. Irrelevant, he should have been guilty, shouldn't have been guilty. That wasn't really the point. But the country was just wrapped up in this trial. And my wife's first reaction is like, what, it, what he must be feeling like now, that whole, the whole time sitting in that courtroom and, and being judged. Mm-hmm. And then she says, hey, isn't that what we're about to go through on Yom Kippur? And we don't usually have those feelings of, okay, what's the verdict going to be? What's God going to say? What's going to happen? But really, on a very, really small level, right, we're comparing O.J. Simpson to our lives. Right. As he wasn't getting executed, no. even if he was found guilty. Right. Right? he'll be in jail. Uh, okay. They'll appeal it. They won't appeal it. Okay, they didn't have to appeal it because he was found innocent. For those listening who are not old enough to have been by the trial, um, that's what happened. In any case, so Yom Kippur is getting ready for for our final repentance as we're given the opportunity to fix the book because we were written in one of the books so let's assume we're in the middle book so when you get to Yom Kippur you can't stay in the middle book when Yom Kippur is over you're either in the book of life or the book of death or the book of the wicked or the book of the righteous it does not necessarily mean that the person will die if he's in the book of the wicked it just means now in God's Books, when mm-hmm. the person's going to come up for his final judgment, so God's going to say, you know, this year you lived and this year you didn't live. So the question is, so how do I fix that? Right. So God created this amazing concept of repentance and forgiveness. Let's give you an example. Guy robs a bank, armed robbery, has his sacks of money, police surround him. Okay, hands up. He goes in front of the judge. And he realizes, you know, robbing a bank with a gun is a very dangerous thing. Someone could have gotten hurt. Wasn't even my money. What was I thinking? (laughs) So he gets in front of the judge and he says, Your Honor, you know, the judge always says, "Eh, what do you have to say for yourself? Guilty or innocent? I say, Your Honor, I'm guilty. Uh, But can I explain? Of course you can explain. But uh, hurry up, because now that we know you're guilty, we have to sentence you. Well, Your Honor, I I have to tell you, I I feel terrible for what happened. I will never do that again. Put people in harm's way. Someone could have gotten hurt. All that money, the policeman and the damage. I I know I have to fix all those stuff. I I feel terrible. So, Your Honor, I would like you to forgive me. And the judge says... um, I mean, it's not really for me to forgive. I can't really exactly Mm -hmm. forgive you. But um, what would you like with this forgiveness? Well, I I would like you to just erase the whole story. Just pretend it never happened. I'll go home happy. You won't waste time. We won't put another person in jail. Taxpayers won't have to pay for me. I'm telling you, it'll never happen again. So you're laughing, right? Because, hello, the judge is going to say, you know, that's really very thoughtful of you. You should have thought about this before you robbed the bank. Right. Well, you know, the robber will say, but your honor, I I really feel terrible. He might even be crying how terrible he feels. You can give me a lie detector test. I'm telling you it'll never happen again. So the judge will probably say, says, Mr. Armed Robbery Person, of course it will never happen again. First of all, I'm going to put you in jail for 20 years with a bunch of very rotten, hardened criminals. And hopefully when you come out, um, it will never happen again. And the robber could plead and beg, nothing is happening. God put into the creation this concept that he looks into the person's heart. He sees the person truly regrets his actions. And God takes, well, there's a pen that won't work over here, but he takes his pencil and he erases the whole story. The whole story is off the records. I mean, this is a rhetorical question. You ever get a speeding ticket? Yeah. I thought it was a rhetorical question. So you go down to court and, uh, okay, and uh, plead or you, you're sorry or whatever, and they stay... Different courts, unfortunately, I've had the experience in more than one different court in different cities, uh, but there's always some setup where either you meet the police officer or you meet with the uh, prosecutor, and they always sit there with a deal on the table, and they say, okay... You could either pay, I think last time, it's terrible I remember this. You could either pay $165 and we'll give you a, I don't know, a blocking traffic, no points, or um, it's two points and it's $135. Oh yeah, that's a lot of money. I mean, I know it wasn't good. Can't we do the 135? If you do the 135, you have to take points. Okay, I'll do the 165. Okay, sign the papers over here, go downstairs, At some place, you have to still go in front of the judge for him to say, do you understand what they did, and you're fine. Some places, you don't even have to. They just take care of the paperwork. You go down to the clerk, and you give them your credit card, or give them a check, or or come back and pay in a week, whatever it is. Now, officially, if you plea bargained, um, it's off the table. Right. Right. They told you, you're done, right? Right. Except the next time you come back for a speeding ticket, the judge has right in front of him, that you had a speeding ticket. Right. It doesn't say you're blocking traffic, even though that's the deal they made with you. It says your speeding ticket. Right. That's not what happens. Now, again, only God could do this. Why? Because I could fool the judge. But I can't fool God. No. So God can look at me and say, Yeah, he, he really feels bad. And there's a there's a a whole process to how we go about praying and asking and asking God for mercy and part of the whole idea which we'll get into is uh, is we rely on God's mercy cuz to the letter of the law it's pretty hard to really repent but but since God can look inside and know that I'm a new person and I'm a changed person so God says okay you're a changed person you're good to go and I can be a changed person today and I could even fall backwards tomorrow. But when I repented on this holiest day of the year, this Yom Kippur, I am a changed person. You're a changed person. God says, okay, I accept. And therefore, we're gonna we're gonna change the scale over here. We're gonna rebalance the scale. It was a full repentance, it was a partial repentance. Again, we get away with nothing. There's an accounting for everything I do, but I can repent. I mean, try to imagine. I hope it doesn't happen too often when you go into your review board or in front of the boss and you say, I'm really sorry last year. I know, you know, my feet were up on the desk a lot. I know I I I didn't uh, work as hard as I could, but this year I'll be better. So your boss could say, I'm sure you will be and I'm sure your new employer will appreciate everything that you're going to add to his company, but we can't keep you. So it's really a whole different... uh, a whole different process. Okay, as we uh, remind everyone, if you have any questions about the high holidays or anything else that's bothering you, you can contact the show, 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. You know, talking about Yom Kippur and the whole uh, business over here, um, I was working with Ben before, um, the, the beginning of Yom Kippur begins with a very special prayer. That prayer is called Kol Nidre. I believe every cantor, every synagogue, every temple, the the tune, that cantorial melody or whatever you wish to call it that is sung everywhere throughout the world is the same tune everywhere. And I asked Ben, Ben, you can pull that up. You played that a few bars of that for a second. Yeah, this is what people—if yeah. you never heard it before—if you're in synagogue, you heard this before. Everybody's heard this before. There
1: it is.
0: Okay, well, let's let it go down. But in any case, probably lots of people getting chills. That is the opening bars that every synagogue sings. Somebody once told me, if the whole world sings the same tune, it's got to go back to the temple. It's got to be so ancient that everybody sings this. That's the opening to the prayers. People will come in on Yom Kippur, again, our holiest day of the year. But again... Our happiest day, because of what we just finished explaining, the fact that I have the opportunity, talk about opportunity, knocks. God's standing there, op- just open the door. He says, repent, I'll forgive you, I'll erase clean slate, everything starts anew. How could you not be happy for that opportunity? It doesn't mean it's not a. you're not nervous, it's not scary maybe, but the fact of the matter is, if I have that opportunity, mm-hmm. Having that opportunity makes it a happy day because there is no other example, almost no other example, we can think of where there's complete forgiveness. I mean, parents are very forgiving. But even parents, please forgive me, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, I'm sorry. Yeah, you said that yesterday, I know, but that was yesterday. But I'm really sorry and I won't do it again and please forgive me. And So parents is the closest thing we can compare to that idea of complete forgiveness. And when parents forgive, it is complete. Parents, generally speaking, don't uh, harp or remind children um, how they did something wrong and they did it and how can they keep doing it. Now, if the child gets in trouble in school and the parents bail the kid out and they bail him out again, and parents will say, you know, we talked about this already. Uh, you said you weren't going to do it anymore. Why are you still doing it? But at the end of the day, parents generally forgive children But it's still in their head. This is completely gone. But there is a different type of sin that needs a little more, actually a lot more, than just asking God for forgiveness. So no one should think that we can get away with stuff. And that is a sin between one person and another person. If I do something wrong to my friend, Mm -hmm. I slandered him, I hurt his feelings, I stole from him, I heard him in business. Um, I, I badmouthed him. Anything that I do between me and my friend, I could cry all day long. I could have the most remorse you could imagine. But until I ask my friend, my friend, "Do you forgive me?" and he answers, "I do forgive you," it's worthless. Or God's not even talking to me. He'll talk to me. Uh, I I didn't keep kosher. I didn't keep Sabbath properly. I, I I snuck a a snack on on Yom Kippur. Those are all between me and God. Anything between me and God, so I can ask for a full fledged forgiveness because it's me and God. That's it. But if I've wronged my friend, so nothing starts. Nothing starts. God's not even talking to me. I'll cry to God. All day long, you never saw a guy feel so bad. And God will say, sounds good, but uh, this one, you you haven't even dented the record. We're we're not even opening the book on this one until you ask your friend to forgive you, which is not always so simple. And sometimes you need people to help you if you've been really rotten and you've been really nasty and really mean. (laughs) Even myself, it's so interesting. I had a boy come to me. Last year, two years ago. I mean, I've been a teacher for many years. So in my young days, when I wasn't so intelligent, so a mother asked me to take her son to school. So I was very young, very naive, and I, I asked him, I said, oh, your mother says I have to take you to school for the next few weeks. I wasn't trying to pry. I just um, I just was curious. I mean, if I would have had you know, any brains, I would have realized he obviously did something in school. He got in trouble in school. They're not letting him come to school, you know, for the early prayers. He has to come later with me. So um, I asked him what he did wrong, and he was very uncomfortable. But I didn't realize. I, like, it, I couldn't understand. Why he's not talking to me? So he comes to me, you know, 20 years later, and he says, you know, Rabbi Jacobson, you made me feel bad in the carpool. He still remembered it. I for sure long forgot it. Right. So he says, you should really ask me for forgiveness. So I said, Okay. So I took him outside with the rumor and I said, I feel terrible. I did not realize I must have insulted you. I hope you can forgive me. Yeah, Rabbi, no problem. But he understood and that I for sure forgot about it that there's this smudge on my record because I made him feel bad. Maybe there was a smudge. Maybe I was allowed to ask him. Irrelevant. But in his mind, I had wronged him. So he was kind enough to say, Rabbi, you got to ask me. Now, really, really, He could just go ahead and forgive me to forget the whole story. But I guess it still hurt. So it still hurt. You ask the person for forgiveness, you move on. I mean, it's part of life. Hopefully husbands and wives have the ability to do it because none of us are perfect. So you ask your spouse, I did something wrong, please forgive me. And for most people, life moves on. For Yom Kippur, if you want your Yom Kippur to be powerful, we ask for forgiveness. It is very normal It's almost like a custom that children will call their parents. um, It'll be this Friday. They'll call their parents and say, you know, if I did anything wrong, I hope you forgive me. And every normal parent will say, of course I forgive you. You didn't do anything wrong. That's the conversation, you know, me and my parents have. Like, I don't even visit that often. I try to call. Um, Same conversation. Oh, Daddy, you forgive me? What what, what did you do to me this year already? You called me. You spoke to me. You visited. You didn't do anything. I know, I know, but you're supposed to say you forgive me. Okay, fine. You didn't do anything wrong, but if that's what you want, okay, I forgive you. That's the process. So it is It is a custom for people to ask their friends, their neighbors, their business associates that right before Yom Kippur, do you forgive me if I harmed you in any way? Very, very standard part of the holiday. So, But interesting enough, um, The Yom Kippur process is really like a three-pronged attack. First of all, I'm asking for forgiveness. I have to repent. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to feel terrible for anything I've done wrong. If I wronged my fellow, I'm going to ask him to forgive me. Then I'm going to pray to God. The second part is prayer. First of all, okay, so you feel terrible for what you did. Now ask God to forgive you. It's part of the process. You felt bad. We see you feel terrible. God says, "I see you feel terrible." Now ask me for forgiveness, and it's almost a little bit more than that because God has two ways of judging. He can be a strict judge, not good; strict, not good. Most of us won't survive strictness. Or God is merciful, which is interesting. One of the things that's brought up over and over on during the prayers is we is we ask God to remember. The merit of our forefathers of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, because when God remembers their merits, they were so great in how they understood God and related to God and and did what God wanted, and they taught their children what God wanted, so God will be merciful just because of them, which is great. So that's really part two. part one is I have to repent, I have to feel terrible, I won't do it again. I have to ask my friend for forgiveness, then I have to pray to God to forgive me now that I'm repenting. And interesting enough, the prayers say there's a third part, a third piece to the puzzle. And that is charity. The Talmud says charity has the power to save a person from death. So, And if it saves a person from death, it doesn't mean that, okay, so tomorrow I'm going to die. It's, it sort of uh, recalibrates the whole person. So for the one of the famous stories in the Talmud is with the daughter of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is one of the most famous people in the time of the Mishnah in the Talmud. And it seems some uh, someone came to him, I don't know if it was a witch or something or somebody who saw the future and said, "I see that your daughter will die on the day of her wedding." Terrible. Yeah, that is awful. Terrible. Awful. So maybe Akiva's daughter now is of age. She's, by the day of her wedding, and he knows this, he got this message that his daughter's in trouble today. You know, you can stand guard, you can be around, you can watch, but what are you going to do? Anyways, after the wedding feast, all of a sudden he hears a scream coming from his daughter's tent. Okay, he runs to his daughter's tent, and there on the wall is a snake with a hairpin stuck right between its eyes. So he says to his daughter, what happened? Well, I was fixing my, my hair and I took the pin out, you know, like I guess ladies in those days just stick it in the wall. And when I turned around later to get my pin, it, it it was stuck in this poisonous snake's head. I killed it. I can assure you if I would have seen the snake, I I could never stick it in. I'm not uh, so talented. Right. So Rabbi Akiva asks his daughter, what did you do Special today, you must have done something because I knew that you were supposed to die today. Obviously, you're not dying, you saved yourself. What did you do? Oh, I don't know, nothing. Come on, spill the beans. What'd you do? Well, um, during the wedding feast, everybody's very busy and partying, and I guess their caters were a little different in those days. And I would have been served, and a poor person. Um, Was outside the gates and uh, I saw him and I said, What do you need? He says, I'm starving. So I took my meal and I gave it to him. Now, again, nowadays, you give your meal to somebody, you snap your fingers, and the waiter brings you in another course. But it seems in those days, that's not how it worked. You got your plate. We served you. You don't want to eat. Don't eat. You give away your plate. You're not being fed. You're not going to get anything to eat. So I gave away my food. So he says, my daughter, that action of giving away your meal saved your life. That's called charity has the power to save from death. That's the third part of this three-pronged attack, if you want to call it, of how we we come into the high holidays. We're going to repent. We're going to pray. And we're going to give charity. People during this time of the year are extra charitable because they know that they know this stuff. Which, by the way, I figure is a good lead in. It's how could I not say this now that I've told you this opportunity? But if you're on my webpage, which is the only way you're listening to the show because the app is not out yet, unless you're listening to a recording of this years in the future, then there are apps out. But otherwise, today or when you're on the recording or you're looking at the archives, if you're watching the show, you are on my webpage. On my webpage is a donate button. That donate button is not for me. I don't need donations. I'll tell you something about that in a minute. I don't, I'm not looking for donations. But the school I represent, Yeshivas Zadar Torah, always needs help. We take care of all kinds of children, people who can't afford the tuition, even people who afford the tuition. It doesn't cover the children. Um, I was speaking to somebody recently from a major foundation. Uh, the special needs that we have in school are certainly, oh, there it is, right there. Right there is my webpage. Look at that. It's you can't miss it. There's a donate button there. It says general donation, or you can scroll down. I think there's some special donations there. I don't remember. I don't mean no. if you hit the general donation button. The donate just sends you to the actual donation page. There we have it. It is coming up. There you have it. You can just fill in something, any amount, a dollar, five dollars, eighteen dollars, a hundred dollars, anything you give is certainly appreciated and will help those children that we are going to help educate the the children without the special needs, children with special needs, all the different things we have to do. I'm just telling you it is greatly appreciated and certainly a good idea right before the high holidays. Okay. Um, So many things to talk about. So little time. But let's try uh, to talk a little bit. um, In the time at a temple, um, again, if anybody has any quick questions as the as the day rolls down, certainly want to try to call in these last two minutes of the show. We'll try to help you with Yom Kippur. But um, on Yom Kippur itself, the 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 whole the service was really wrapped around the high the high priest, the highest kohen called the kohen gadol. He does all the service that day, and really, it's all leading up for him to enter a special room. The room is called the Holy of Holies. In Hebrew, it's the kodesh ha-kodeshim. is a, um, we uh, I neglected to mention this fact. That would be terrible if I missed it, but you'll remind me later about uh, why this is the day. I'll get there in a second. But in, in this room, in the first temple, there was the ark. There was the ark, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what the ark looked like, or at least mm-hmm. what they imagined it looked like. And in that ark actually were the tablets, the first and second tablets that Moses brought down. That's all there is in this special room, this Holy of Holies, 20 by 20, approximately 30 by 30. Um, There may have been, there were some other things that Moses put there because of their travels, but this is the main thing in the room, and the high priest can only enter this room. No one else enters this room the whole year, no one. But the high priest can enter on the Holy of Holies, bringing in Um, some incense that he's going to put on top of some coals, and those will burn. He can say a really fast prayer in that room, and he goes out. This was such a dangerous room because of its holiness to walk into that um, after the Yom Kippur holiday, Mm -hmm. people actually would parade the high priest home, and he would make a special party for his friends because he came out alive. Uh, to give you an idea, in the first temple, which lasted 410 years, there were 18 high priests. So that means the high priest lasted a little more than 20 years. In the second temple, there were over 300 high priests. And one of them lasted 80 years. So uh, for 420 years, that means most high priests are not making it out of the Holy of Holies. Which again is really interesting because if if you've watched the last 100 die mm-hmm. um, why exactly do you want to be high priest and they paid they paid treasure chests with gold diamond to the to the romans for the opportunity to go into that room so the reason it seems is first of all you're 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 on top so if i get killed I'm a wealthy man I have nothing else in my life anyways so you can't get higher than being the high priest but there there are many people out there who think that it's worth dying to be extra holy. And we don't believe that. There are, are religions that they almost train people that, uh, that you become more holy if you kill yourself. And we don't believe that. God doesn't want someone to kill themselves to be holy. He wants someone to live to be holy. But in the second temple, there over 300 high priests died going in and they had like ropes on them because you couldn't go in to get them, so you had to you had to pull them out. So I guess they knew, so they pulled them out. It would be pretty tragic that that's what happened on on the high holidays. But um, but that is that is what happened many times because it's a scary room to go into mm-hmm. if you're not on that right level of holiness. You should not be walking into that room. So I know before I forget that we got to review all the stuff we got to today and. I know. Last week, I got cut off because I, I I'm learning my way around to to be to the second over here. Mm-hmm. I've got all my times written down, but in any case, so what happened on the tenth of Tishrei that this is the day that we is Yom Kippur that God forgives the Jewish the whoever asks for repentance, but certainly it's a holiday for the Jewish people. So it was like this: the, Moses goes to get the two tablets um, on the. 6th, it's debatable, 6th or 7th day of the month of Sivan. That's in the June season. And he goes to get the first tablets. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights. The Jewish people sin. They build this golden calf, which again we'll talk about another day. Uh, He comes down. He breaks the first tablets. Um, They judge to see who is involved in uh, in this idol worship. He goes back up on Mount Sinai for another 40 days and 40 nights. To pray that God should not destroy the Jewish people, power of prayer. Uh, he comes down again. Um, that really takes place at the beginning of the month of El, actually forty days right before Yom Kippur. God says, "This time you're gonna you're gonna prepare the new tablets. They're actually made of sapphire. He found in his tent the whole pile of sapphire. He carves new tablets. He goes up back on Mount Sinai again for another forty days and forty nights." And he comes down with the second tablets on Yom Kippur. Where God says, I forgive the Jewish people for the golden calf. And he comes down with the second tablets. That takes place on on Yom Kippur. Therefore, that day became the day that we ask for forgiveness. So, before we run out of time, um, we always like to recap... So uh Ben? Yes. We a lot of stuff today. What what did you learn today? Oh, uh, quite a bit. Um I really do like the
1: asking for forgiveness. That that's always a good thing. I always I've always felt that if you've done something wrong, just asking for forgiveness, just showing that you are uh definitely f- know that you what you've done and actually ha- having uh some form of um regret or uh, acknowledgement of your own yeah. actions. Yeah, own, that's
0: own it up. Yeah, that, own I mean, up. that's how we say it. Own up to it. Yeah. Are you with me? I am here with you. Did you learn anything today?
1: I did learn something today. I would say that I would I learned um that it's cool that your kids call and check <laughs> in with you. At the uh, the end of the holiday to make sure that everyone, all is forgiven, I should say.
0: That is so interesting that that's what you that you got. Okay, good. Yep. So, you know, I make my own list of what I like to make sure I know what we recapped, but uh, an accident, write that one down. Very good. Leonard. you with me? Yes, I am. Did you learn anything today?
1: Well, yes, I found out that you were fasting today, and the reason that you're fasting is for forgiveness, correct?
0: Yes, all fast days um, ultimately are meant to help me ask for forgiveness. Very good. Well done, Leonard. Very good. Um, I got about a minute to get into my fake news today. Um, We'll try to... I will make it. Don't worry. Here we go. Um, There's a custom. Many people do it on the first or second day of Rosh Hashanah. It's harder where I live, and that is they go to a river or a lake during this period of time. Um, And they take breadcrumbs and they throw the bread into the water and they say a verse that says, God, you should throw all my sins into the river. The reason this custom came about is because when Abraham was bringing Isaac to sacrifice him, he did not sacrifice him, it's called the binding of Isaac, but God had told him to sacrifice, or at least told him to bring him up as a sacrifice to bring up Isaac. On the way traveling to bring Isaac, he, um, the, the, the Satan, the evil inclination, whatever name we give him, devil's the wrong word, but I can use that word, a different day we'll talk about why not, um, tried to stop him, because he knew the power that Abraham would be giving to his children for even attempting to sacrifice his son mm-hmm. would be so great, the angel tried to stop me, he had a river get in his way, and Abraham went through the river, and he prays to God, hey, you gotta help me get through the river if you want me to do this, so he made the river go away, so we, again, to remember this whole story, we throw bread in. Many people look at this and say, oh, you're throwing your sins away. I know, I see it. I know, I got, don't worry, I got my time here. In any case, uh, the fake news is you cannot just throw your sins away. You got to actually earn it. You got to do the repentance. So I would like to thank all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Ben, R.D., Lenard. I hope I left you with some food for thought. And again, last week I missed it. I would like